Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cedars Hall in Wells. Please welcome a man who once sang a solo in Wells Cathedral. It's Richard Herring. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here in Wells. Um, Though when I was at school in Cheddar, uh, if you said someone's gone to Wells, it meant they were mentally ill. So... (laughs) uh, But it's good you've changed that graveyard into a tourist attraction. Well done. Well done, Wells. Well done. (laughs) It's the top ten uh, tourist attraction in Wells. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, it's lovely to be here. Uh, Welcome to Richard Herring's lovely Somerset Town podcast, because Wells is a town. (laughs) Get over yourselves. It's got a big church. Though I was hanging around in Wells Town Hall in the 1980s as part of the Highway Code competition. Anyone else take part in that? Uh, We had a Kings of Wessex team doing very well. Then Tina Cavell put B to all the answers in the final section and we got knocked out. Uh, all the kids there call it Rahalas Tabasa. I don't know, that's kind of, that, that, might, that might catch on. Uh, it is lovely to be here. Uh, let's give you some... I looked up some Wells facts. I've got, you know, I've, I've got a, a, a lot of memories of Wells, the Town Hall Howie Code competition, singing in... I think I sang in Wells Cathedral. I might be just making it up. Um, I, I looked up the latest news for Wells on, on the internet, and the latest news is boiler replacement for primary school as part of countywide decarbonisation scheme. Uh, that's uh, from December 2022. That is that's <laughs> now nearly June. Uh, six months have passed. That's still up there in top news. 
happened in Wookiee. It's not even from Wells. It's not news and it's not Wells. Um, but there we go. Uh, I should say this is going to be part of uh, my Edinburgh Fringe podcast series. As any, any guests I've got in the next few months that are at the Edinburgh, which I guess is this will go out during August. So I've decided rather than going to Edinburgh and spending £30,000, I'm just going to do it from home or places that are convenient to me and then pay myself £10,000 to live wherever I'm living. I found a way through it and still sort of appear at the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, we're staying in... Uh, 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 we're having a week in uh, Cheddar uh, with my folks, but we're staying in a really horrible lodge on the outskirts. <laughs> we stayed there a, couple of, a few months ago, and it was beautiful and really big lodge. We thought, oh, we'll go, we'll upgrade. And we thought we'd upgraded, but we went into it. There literally three bedrooms uh, wouldn't fit on this stage. Uh, I, I slept in a child's bed last night. Not with a child. Ch- no, I'm not getting... <laughs> it's not the next Philip Schofield scandal. It's... That was topical when we, this, when we recorded this. And to be honest, probably still is in August, let's face it. Who knows what's come out by now? Um, <laughs> so I won't, I'm not going to... I won't mess around too much, but yes, yeah, so we're doing this, this fantastic... Lovely to be at Edinburgh without being at Edinburgh. Uh, and um, being in Wells, which is... You should do a comedy festival here. Oh, you are, that's why we're here. Um, uh, on the drive here, uh, I, I saw this sign, and I've seen this sign very rarely on the road, but it always confuses me. It says, picking up litter puts road workers at risk. Have you seen that sign? And every time I see it, I think, what, so, what, you asked me not to pick up my litter? And how does me picking up my litter put road workers at risk? And, of course, it's, I'm sort of thinking, so if something falls out of the car, I'm not meant to stop and pick it up. It means that if, you, if they have to pick up the litter, it puts their lives at risk. It's a very poorly written sign. No? <laughs> every, every, and I'm so confused. I think the number of crashes that must cause by people trying to solve the riddle of what... What the fuck does that mean? So nearly, nearly, luckily we were going very slowly on the bank holiday way to Wells. Uh, I think that's probably enough to be getting on with. Um, yeah, I was just I was thinking, I once snogged a, a flute player in Wells Cathedral as well. I've already talked about the many times, the Wells, the Wells Cinema, where I saw a Kentucky Fried movie and the other Cinderella. Uh, and, a, and a probably dead now Somerset man shouted out, Pert nipples. Uh, <laughs> it's gone, that's gone, everything's gone. The West, even the Western Supermare Odeon's closing down now. It's all changing. I'm, I'm glad I'm going to die soon. Right, so don't have to see these changes. Right, we will crack on. We have got an absolutely fantastic guest uh, for you uh, this evening in the morning, afternoon. Um, He's probably best known for being a programme associate on 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. And this is his ninth appearance, so it's getting quite hard to come up with those for him. Will you please welcome the incredible John Robbins, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully. There he is. John Robbins. Oh, hello. Hello, John Robbins. Hello, nine hello. times, nine times. Nine, nine times. times. You must have used every single <laughs> reference on IMDb. Luckily, a couple of times. You, well, you interviewed me, so I didn't have to do one for that. But yeah, pretty much. Programme associate. Do you, do you enjoy being your programme associate on both 8 out of 10s of Cats, Does Countdown, and 8 out of 10 Cats? Do you want to tell people what programme associate means? It means writer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what, it, they have writers on those shows? Yes, to sort of g- come up with um, little zingers, sort of set the atmos, set the mood. Yeah. Um, yeah, all those little bits and bobs in between um, the comedians riffing. Yes. Uh, you know, those are all written by people, which, right. is no, which is no big secret. It isn't a big secret, but they could call them writers. Why not call them writers? <sighs> it's not your fault, John. No. You should have stood up and go, I refuse to be called a programmer. <laughs> uh, presumably you've been on those shows... As a, uh, no, uh, in your own right? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> you were that bad. Um, me and Ellis did 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown, right. and I think we both feel it wasn't our finest hour. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, mostly when you're a programme associate, it's a lot of um, sort of eating snacks in offices yes. and reassuring very talented comedians that it's going to be fine. Okay. And then you go home. So you're sort of paid as almost like a sort of a mental health coach. Yes. To kind of go, I'm going to have another box of Choco Liebnitz. 
and tell you it's going to be fine. <laughs> the stuff you've written is great. Can I get the last train? Yeah. Um, I'd really like to do... I mean, again, I'd, I've never done those shows. There's a lot of the panel shows I haven't done, but I would like to do the Countdown one just because I'd really like to play Countdown very seriously. I wouldn't do anything in between. Well, you should do Countdown. No, I don't want to. I want to go on A. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's no kudos to being taking Countdown seriously. You have to do that. But to literally just ask people to shut up and stop messing about <laughs> and say, I'm trying to do as well as I can here and get the maths right, get the bit longest word. That's yeah. what I'm going to do if they ever have me on. Yeah, I think, that, well, you should do that. They're not going to have me on. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what I've done. Uh, but anyway, well done on being there. And you've, Buxton is on, Adam Buxton, eight appearances. Yeah. Versus, versus your nine. You've done a lot in Edinburgh. And this is actually an Edinburgh one as well. So well, this is quite what... a sort of searing indictment of the current climate in Edinburgh, that Edinburgh shows are no longer being recorded or produced or performed in Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be an entirely remote festival. I'd rather go to Welks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this, yeah, I mean, my, uh, we spoke about this in the last one I was on, but my uh, accommodation this year, I was quoted for a three bedroom flat for the month, £8,000. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that is not, I mean, that's not viable, but yeah. they, they, they go You don't for really that. need a three bedroom flat, though, John. Well, <laughs> just, uh, I like to sleep in a different bed every other yeah. day <laughs> and then just have a spare bed. Um, Hey, I'm tired in the day. That's my day bed. Yeah. You like the three little beds, the three beds. Got three beds. In case Goldilocks turns up. But you get into this ridiculous sort of um, situation where everyone you speak to involved in that process of accommodation is sort of passing the buck. So you say to the person who's letting it, the letting agent, you go, this is insane. I can't afford that. And they're like, well, yeah, we, the market is pretty, pretty competitive right now, but I'm afraid it's out of our hands. And you're like, what, you, the person who's advertising and setting the... How is it out of your... Surely it's only in your hands. And then they're like... Well, but then if you're a landlord and they say you can get that, you, I guess You've we... Take the money, haven't you? You, you, you do... You, I guess you do have to take the money if it's there. But it's a shame because it just means it's out of reach for so, so many people. Well, I, they, well Edinburgh, I'm not coming this year because of that. So, yeah. Think, yeah. think, think about what you've done. Think on it. <laughs> think There'll be a lot of people crying in the streets when, they, when that hits them, when they realise. But they, you, it won't be until everyone goes up that they realise how many people that has been the case with. Yeah. There'll be lots of holes. There's a Richard Herring-shaped hole in Edinburgh. There'll be a, <laughs> you know, X, Y and Z-shaped hole, um, which hopefully means I might sell a few more tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so the ideal situation is no one goes up apart from me <laughs> and I become the best and worst-reviewed show of the Fringe. Amazing. It's a bizarre sort of sell-out run for a show that got hugely mixed reviews. <laughs> so what are you doing two shows? Let's talk about this. In with this is Edinburgh. Let's talk about Edinburgh and then we'll talk about this. Yeah, I'm doing So what are your Edinburgh shows? Uh, one is called Howl, which is also my tour show. That is the uh, work, work in progress I did last year, sort of um, fiddled with and buffed up. And then I'm doing another work in progress, which then will become another part of the tour show which begins after Edinburgh. So it's quite a sort of structurally and logistically complex process of creating something that works on tour, but breaking it in half so it works in Edinburgh. Yes. And then putting it back together to go on tour. So I'm trying to manage feelings of anxiety, dread and fear at the minute. <laughs> um, but I just have to hope it'll be an awful lot of fun. Yes, I'm sure it will be. What, so what's, what's how... What's the... What's, it sounds like existential dread from the title. Yeah, is, is yeah that that's it. Going, You've nailed it. For? Well, it was the first bit last year, the bit last year, and the, the, the show that will be called Howl in Edinburgh is written by a very unwell man <laughs> who was drinking an awful lot of alcohol and wondering why things went wrong all the time yeah and then the second part of the show is written by still a rather unwell man <laughs> but who hasn't had a drink for 205 days at time of going to press <laughs> and um so it's it's uh it is sort of a show of two halves and an awful lot has gone on in between those two parts of yeah. the show. Yeah. So it's quite a challenge to write, but it's also very interesting to write. But you do start to question the, uh, the sort of the, the basic 
uh, essentials of what stand-up is, because you're writing it thinking, why on earth would anyone want to sit and listen to you talk about yourself for an hour and a half? <laughs> Shh. And then you're like, Shh. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> you're about to blow the whole gaff. Yeah. Because <laughs> spoiler alert, that is what stand-up is: <laughs> incredibly self-absorbed people talking about themselves for an hour and charging. <laughs> Imagine your most annoying friend, who's always going on about themselves. You suddenly turn up at their house for coffee, and they're like, "That's twenty-two fifty plus." plus a restoration levy for the house. <laughs> um, but that's what it is. But that, and that's, you know, that's forever what it shall be. So it's interesting. Well, I've given up drinking as well, but sort mm. of accidentally. Mm. Uh, and it's, mine's two years and... I, mean, see, I'm not, I don't even count it in days anymore. That's how much it's become part of my life. Yeah. I'm sort of near... I mean, I'm approaching a 1,000 days later in the year. So Amazing. I've done two and a half years, basically, nearly two, two years, five months. Uh, but I didn't really intend to give up. I just stopped and then haven't really started again. Yeah. I was partly because it was more, I wasn't drinking loads. I'd given up a bit and then I'd, in lockdown I started drinking like a couple of whiskeys every night. Yeah. And I would just wake up in the middle of the night feeling a bit weird and confused and full of existential dread mm. and uh, have panic attacks. And then I stopped drinking and that more or less stopped happening. Mm. Unless I eat hot food late at night. <laughs> So it's very much a digestive yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but you wake up feeling, like, terrified and, and disconnected from the world. Mm. And, like, it felt a bit like this was the only true moment where I really understood how terrifying the world was mm. for these two hours in the middle of the night and then everything else was a dream. Mm. Uh, is that, is, was that anything... What was, what was your reason for... stop? Because you, you, you love a drink. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Yes. That's what... <laughs> <laughs> That's another definition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I am an alcoholic, but I have drunk a lot of alcohol, so it's hard. Yes. It's hard but I, I'm not... It's, I miss it a little bit, but I'm not missing it loads. Yeah, well, that's been an interesting part of the process for me is I've always had problems with alcohol, and it's always been special to me in a way which I began to realise it wasn't special to other people. Yeah. And began to realise that other people's relationship with alcohol was different to mine. Um, and that I was, I think, born this way because uh, my first interactions with alcohol were slightly weird. <laughs> like, not in context of where I'm at now, when you sort of reverse engineer the experiences, you think there was always something about it that was special to you. Yeah. And it became really the sole focus of my life was drinking. And what that does, I realise now, is it makes you very in self. And what I mean by that is it means you become very, very controlling of everything because you are trying to direct your whole day, your interactions with people, your work, your relationships, everything in order to facilitate you drinking in the way you want to drink. Um, and, the, and the anxiety it causes, my anxiety was so bad that I began to be unable to do quite basic tasks. And when you're that anxious, and also very controlling because the booze is sort of directing you, what that means is that happiness for me became a day when everything went to plan. So... The train was on time, I got to the place in the right time, people behaved in the way I wanted them to, there was the food I wanted to eat was available at the time, the work got done, nothing delayed me, I got to the right pub at the right time, they had the right alcohol, or I got home at the right time, increasingly the drinking was at home on my own. Everything had to be like machine-tooled for me to feel that day had gone well. And that never happens yeah <laughs> so you're in this constant fight against a world you feel is against you people who are against you fate is against you somehow and what i had to, what i came to realize was is that i was i could not be in control of anything i wasn't in control of my drinking i wasn't in, i couldn't be in control of other people 
And that was my moment of waking up in the middle of the night was very much, I, I cannot go on like this. I can't do this anymore. It's, I, I, I felt like I was losing my mind. Yeah. And I was. I couldn't hold information in my head. Um, I, my relationships were just falling apart. I would be out with friends. And in my head, this is like, this is what you want to do. You want to go to the pub and drink. But I would get so anxious that I would leave and go home. I was very tearful a lot of the time. Uh, people would ask me how I was. I would, I would just not be able to speak. And you're thinking, fuck, you're 40. You've got a pretty good life. You're a nice person. <laughs> and you're feeling absolutely horrendous all the time. And I woke up at two in the morning and I just... I was chatting with, to Ellis about it and he said, was it a sort of light bulb moment? And when, I realised when he said that, it was, but it, the, the light went off. The last light bulb <laughs> in my whole life went off. It was a big thing saying beer. <laughs> and the last, <laughs> the last one went off. Yeah. So, um, so since that, because I would wake up at two, three, four in the morning heart racing, panic, dread, uh, you know, just sort of self-loathing. And um, the only way to turn that off is alcohol or beginning a lifetime's work of personal development. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting that you know, a lot of people go through all those things you're saying and don't stop. So it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's still fairly early days, I have to say, John. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but it, but that's, that to, it's impressive to be able to... And especially if you are, you know, I don't consider myself an alcoholic, so giving up drinking, I tried to do it a lot through my youth, but I, would, I think like our society in the UK especially, and, and more for people my age, a little bit your age, was so geared around drinking that if you were single or if you just wanted to go out, mm. there wasn't really another option other than going out and getting drunk with people. So mm. you'd think, oh, well, I'll stop, but then you go, but then how will I ever have sex again? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how will I ever meet someone to go out with? Uh, you know, how, I'll just be stuck at home, which obviously when you're 55 and have kids, you're stuck at home anyway, so... Well, they say if you want to know, if you want to know why you drink, stop drinking. Yeah. And it will become clear to you what part alcohol plays in your life. I've just had a lot of unravelling to do of the impact it's had. And there's this weird process of, like going back and thinking all of the things that I thought was me or other people or institutions or things that were wrong and it was alcohol. But on the other hand, also having to grieve it. You know, it's, it's how I've coped for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's how I've coped for 34 years <laughs> since my first ever drink. And it's scary. It's, I mean, it's at times terrifying, at times incredibly um, enlightening and moving and powerful to process feelings which I haven't really done in a in a normal way inverted yeah. commas normal I don't think many of us or ever will get to a point where we're totally processing feelings at face value and learning from them but it's interesting how when I get cravings for alcohol now I get through them using the tools I've learned and then suddenly feel overwhelming sadness <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, right. That's because you've taken alcohol out. That was the barrier between you and feelings. So now, you, you're, now you're having feelings. This is what feelings are like. They're terrifying. <laughs> but they can also be wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, fulfilling. And I went to the cathedral uh, today. It was one of, it was, Wells Cathedral was one of my stepdad's favorite cathedrals. He loved photographing it and he passed away this month. And I went there and just sat in the back of the cathedral. And just had two minutes of peace. And that was amazing. And I can, I can live off that today. That feeling of a little bit, of a tiny little bit of just sort of serenity. That's enough for me now today. I, that's, I can now go about my business. Whereas when I was drinking, I mean, crikey Moses. I would have been lashed last night. I would have been hung over this morning. I would have been absolutely hating myself. Um, and, you know, for today, because, you know, I can't say I've given up forever because I can't get that. If I get that far in my head, it gets too stressful. But today I'll be, I, I should hopefully be okay because I've had a little bit of 
sort of little bit of um, little bit of peace of mind. It's good. It's it's what's I mean. I think it's the, not hugely amusing. It's not amusing, but <laughs> the people of Wells are wrapped. They're wrapped. When the people of Edinburgh hear this, they're going to be furious. With me. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, they'll forget because they're, 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 what I'm saying is they're all drunk. Uh, um, <laughs> that's why I'm not going back to Edinburgh because I make comments like that. Um, <laughs> but you know, plenty. Well, look, being a comedian is you can live your whole life, you can live your whole short life. Uh, you know, you can be a functioning alcoholic as a comedian. There are several. Uh, there are several comedians who have drunk themselves to death. Uh, Sean Hughes is a prime example that's very much at the top of my mind. Uh, he very sadly, kind of gave up for a while but went back. Uh, so it's fantastic that you've... And there's loads of people I could mention who are functioning alcoholics, but I'll wait for them to die and then I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's, so, it's really tough, man, because it's... I know I'm sick, and that's a challenge, but it's also such... Uh, I'm so lucky to know what the problem is and know the, what the solution is. And if I choose not to take those, that solution, that's on me. But I kind of hopefully get to live two lives. Yep. You know, I've, I've been... I, I think I've got everything that was good out of alcohol, out of alcohol. Yeah. But it stops working. It just stops working. And then it starts to work against you. And the worst bit is when you get into a state... I was in for about a year where you are as afraid of drinking as you are of not drinking. And that's hell. Yeah. And that's where I never want to go back to. Um, but, you know, the, for as challenging as it may be, I'm lucky to, to have the challenge and to know what the problem is. Yeah. And, and what's, you know, what I've always admired about you and Ellis and, and a lot of the, your generation of comedians is you, you do talk about these things... And I think this is incredibly helpful to talk about this. And it's very nice for you and open of you to talk about it because I think it will help other people. I think there's a little switch that can, that can go in your, everyone's head of, oh, I don't actually have to do that. You know, if you're drinking and you're enjoying it, like, please carry on. Mm. It's fantastic. Uh, but if you're not enjoying it, you don't have to do it. You know, and actually stop, you know, even stopping this time, and I've stopped loads of times, and I've stopped for a year at a time. And, but this time I kind of really went, yeah, look, it doesn't, you know, sometimes if you're at a party... At the end of the night, it gets a bit boring when everyone else is really pissed. Mm. But it's actually, you can completely cope with it. And I, I think I've, I always thought, and I was always socially awkward and nervous and didn't want to go to parties and drinking was the way to get to parties. Um, but you can do it and it's still fine and, you know, there's other things to do. So it's, it's great to, that you're well, talking I, openly about it. Thanks, man. I'd, I'd say one thing that, like, not drinking is a, the, the worst, whereas being sober is great or challenging or you know is it an opportunity for growth when I was because I had about seven years of trying to control my drinking in a way that I think you would understand I had I had spreadsheets <laughs> I had calendars with days ticked off I had yeah. average you I had nuts mad 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 behavior I thought that was me being in control of alcohol and that was the excuse I used to say you don't have an alcohol problem because you only averaged 39 units a week over the last two weeks or whatever um or you had 100 days off this year and i i adrian charles wrote a book about alcohol which is really interesting um and um i wrote a chapter for that about how i control my drinking and it came out it's coming out in paperback and i had to say to him i need to edit this because it's all complete bullshit (laughs) well it's not it's not bullshit if you're if you're if you have a normal relationship with alcohol and you want to be aware of how much you're drinking and cut back that's different but if you are an alcoholic that sort of behavior will drive you insane and it drove me mad i was much worse company when i wasn't drinking (laughs) i.e i have to not drink tonight so i go into the day tense and short-tempered, and the more controlling than even if I was drinking that day. 
So Adrian very kindly let me write a little sort of PS okay. to say, <laughs> this is all good advice, <laughs> unless... Um, so that I hope when the paperback comes out, there's a little sort of uh, extra chapter. I used to have a little counter like the, the, on my wall, like then how many days since the, the, we last had an accident, you know? So yeah, 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 yeah. A <laughs> hundred days since I last had a like drink. That. And uh, everyone used to take the piss out. All my friends used to take the piss out. But go, days since I committed murder. <laughs> well, the, my drinking was like a building site where every day it says two days since our last accident yeah. <laughs> I should say as a counterpoint though uh, 24 days after I gave up drinking I discovered I had testicular cancer so draw your own conclusions that's how that's how quickly that's how quickly it'll get you so <laughs> girls keep on drinking fellas think on that is science that is science well thank you for talking about that sir. And, and presumably You're about to ask me whether I can suck my own cock, (laughs) aren't you? (laughs) I'm definitely getting there. I was amazed. I I looked you up. Given how many times you've been on, I was amazed how few emergency questions I've asked you. So I'm very happy to have this dull, boring... (laughs) Oh, it's me, I'll call it. Bit. Because I know... I know what's coming up. (laughs) Look at me. Come come and see my show about it. Um... Um, so, no, I don't, I, I don't really think that. It's funny, it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes it's funny to say bad things, isn't it, John? You notice that? Well, it's funny because you get to think <laughs> both things. Yeah. You get to completely believe both things you just said. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, yes, let's ask. I'll ask you some emergency questions. I, I, I have to surprise you with something different. I don't think I've asked you. No, no, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I've asked you nearly any of the major emergency questions. But I haven't asked you if, if all the art galleries and museums in the world have I asked you this got together. I can't believe this is such a good question, and I'm interested to hear your answer in this one. If they all got together, so we love John Robbins, we're amazed he stopped drinking for like th- two days. <laughs> <laughs> It's incredible. We want to reward him, and he can take one thing out of any of the museums or art galleries in the world and keep it. Which thing would you like to own? It can be an artefact, it can be a painting, it can be anything from a museum or art What a great question. Um, There's two. Okay, so I'm going to allow you two. Um, Francis Bacon picture of... It's a kind of screaming head. It's a judge. It's a picture of a judge. Yes in a sort of clear, it almost looks like a glass box, and if the face is all distorted, I think it's absolutely incredible. Um, So that's like, old John wants that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, How? And there's a Dali painting of the crucifixion on a, with a rose on a sort of cuboid cross. Does anyone know what the name of that painting is? We're in Wales. Broken Britain. What the fuck? (laughs) 
come on. I mean, Wells has all its airs and graces. They go, oh, look at our beautiful cathedral. Look at our little oh. peasant's passage. We can go I think through. It, I think it might be called St. John of the Cross or something, but it's a, yeah, it's a Dali painting of the crucifixion with the rose. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, those two. I mean, then I don't have to do any shows <laughs> if I've got those two paintings. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, I kind of want all of humanity to die out and just leave me so I can go and have my pick of paintings. Well, that's a... Oh, man. I went through yeah, thank a you. mad... Thank, thank you, madam. You know, everyone else going... I see, I see Rich Sharon's backing genocide. It doesn't surprise, <laughs> doesn't surprise me for his own selfish... Thank you, madam, for understanding that there was a joke in there. Thank you. Well, before COVID, I had all of these fantasies of isolation. Yeah. You know, so end-of-the-world fantasies. I'd play it in my head to help me get to sleep. And there's a... I did. <laughs> I did. I would, I would... This is how I would get to sleep. I would imagine opening my door to my house and there being no one on the street and walking down to Tesco and being able to get whatever I wanted from Tesco and I'd push the trolley all the way home... And then I would just, and then I would start to think about how long the alcohol would last before it went off. <laughs> so I've got like a year before all the cans of beer and cider go off, and then I move on to the wine, and then the wine's got about two years because ninety percent of wine is meant to be drunk within two years. Wow. Um, so, and then I have to sort of drink spirits for the rest of <laughs> my life. So you could see why the fantasy wasn't actually about. It was just a, <laughs> I just wanted to have a drink. But, but um, I got into this uh, genre of literature called the cosy catastrophe. Right. Uh, so an example of that would be the Omega Man, uh, which was remade into I Am Legend uh, film, or The Day of the Triffids, where it's basically people in very stressful sort of disaster scenarios, but they have a base level of comfort. Yeah. So... In Omega Man, the original with Charlton Heston, he's drinking like sort of Napoleonic brandy in his fort with all the vampires outside and the Mona Lisa is hanging on his wall. <laughs> and it's that idea that everyone's gone. I mean, it's such a self-absorbed fantasy. It's literally <laughs> everyone else on Earth dies apart from me and I get to do whatever I want. Yeah. Um, but it is a, it's a thread that runs through a lot of uh, very popular sort of Netflix shows. Like The Last of Us is yeah. essentially that thing. You know, the... The, 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 the hideout that the, the, the couple have in Last of Us is that fantasy. The bunker in um, the road that's full of all the tinned food, that is that feeling of warmth and comfort you get. But, you but know, it that... does require everyone else on Earth to die. <laughs> Whenever I watch those shows, like when I'm watching The Walking Dead, I just want a series where they just are all okay and they've got it all yep. sorted out and they just build the city again and there's no problem from uh, bad men or, or, or zombies. But that's what happens in The Last of Us, that those guys, that Ron Swanson and the guy from The White Lotus yep. get together, <laughs> and then they live, they live a very happy life. I think have to shoot a few guys. the two best episodes of Last of Us are their episode yeah. Yeah. and the episode with the girl and her childhood sort of friend, oh, yes. where yeah, they've got awesome. that sort of you know, youthful crush kind of tension between us. I think it's absolutely amazing. But then the main character, I thought, was just... I don't believe anyone's that grizzled. <laughs> I don't believe you can be that grizzled full-time, so I didn't quite believe him. Fair enough. Right, I'll ask you more emergency questions. I don't think I've asked you. I'm going to wait. I've got to, wait. got to time them more carefully. This is a bit similar. And again, might get this. I'll ask you a stupid one in a second. If, like a caterpillar... Have, you, have I done this one? If you go into a chrysalis and you see this a bit too... We've already, this is, we've already done this, but... You go, go into a chrysalis and emerge as anything you want. So a, a caterpillar dissolves and turns into a butterfly. You go into a chrysalis, John Robbins, you dissolve and you come out as anything you want. What would you like to come out of the chrysalis as? Um, a pint of beer. No. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. Drink, You've just added an myself. extra layer to my fantasy. <laughs> I would like to emerge as a uh, top 50 PGA professional golfer who, okay, yes. who can have a normal relationship with alcohol. <laughs> I think if you are an elite level sports person, but not so elite that it kind of ruins your life, because if you were 50th best golfer in the, in the world, you're probably earning four or five, maybe 10 million a year. Right. But you can walk down the street, golf fans will know who you are, yeah. but you're not like Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy. To live that life 
and then to sort of have your retirement or post-career world sorted out. Maybe you could go into commentary, or maybe you could... But you don't need to, because you've made enough money, but it's not ruined your life. It's just so nice. But I would have to be able to have a, a sort of healthy relationship with alcohol for that okay. to work. Fine. I mean, I think playing golf is worse than being an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> and more damaging. <laughs> That's just my opinion. That's your opinion. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's my... I'm not going to say it's my happy place, but it, is, it's, it was my, own, my first accidental mindfulness of the only thing that actually worked, even at my absolute worst, I could switch off my brain for four hours and just think about the shot I was about to play. And there is a lot of correlation between like the mental side of golf and the mental side of life. But it does require you sort of enjoying golf to really have any interest in, in that Venn diagram. But sort of acceptance, accepting, uh, on the one hand, the fact your ball has ended up in the bunker, yeah, thanks. or accepting... Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> Very sensitive. <laughs> and then, well, that's the heart that you've absolutely got to the heart of it. Yeah. And then accepting that someone, you had to get your testicle taken away. <laughs> yes. Accepting those two things. Because yeah. your attitude is what changes the impact that those two situations have on you, how happy you are. You know, I, I mean, at the centre of absolutely everything I've read and I'm reading and doing is the only thing we can control is our reactions. Right. I can't control how people behave to me. I can't control whether, you know, I, I get offered this work or I can't, I can't control whether this relationship works out. I can control how I respond to those things. And that's the lifetime's work. Because the same thing could, could ruin my life yeah. and be a huge um, uh, sort of moment of change and acceptance for you. Yeah. But it's, oh, it's us that control that. Yeah, it's true. It's, again, not very amusing. Um, <laughs> We've got to laugh on the way there, and that's all that matters. I've got some, you know, emergency questions. People mm. send them in. Adults write them to me, and they're all shit, so stop doing it. <laughs> Only I, I can do it. Children can do it. And, occasionally, AI can do it. Uh, <laughs> but there's some, missing, there's some missing ones. But this is a very good question uh, that AI came up with. What is the most ludicrous thing you've ever done in the name of love? I mean, there must be a lot for you. Fuck. <laughs> so far, everyone who's answered this question has done an absolute banker of an answer. No pressure. <laughs> I think it's a brilliant question. Thank you, artificial intelligence. One day I can be replaced. Are you looking forward to being replaced? I'm, I mean, I'm up to 1994 in my head. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, just, I'm just dealing with an awful lot of poems I wrote. <laughs> I'm now dealing, now 1998, what we, 98, bought a girl seven Valentine's Day presents, weren't even going out. <laughs> including a biography of Che Guevara. <laughs> a CD single of, um... Paul Weller's You Do Something to Me. The, the Faber book of love poetry. Oh, oh. fuck me. <laughs> Have you got any booze? <laughs> um, flowers delivered to the school. Oh, my God. Wait, uh, were, you a, were you a child as well at the same time? What? Were you, were you at school at the time that that happened? Because <laughs> it's not... It's not Let's, we could cut it out, John. I don't want to wreck your career. We all make mistakes. Um, <laughs> it, was un, it was unwise, but not illegal. What was the terms of the question most ludicrous? Yeah, most... Well, this is what AI says. The most ludicrous thing you've done in the name of love. Uh, one relationship, when it began, I... Uh, printed out all the texts we'd ever sent each other into a sort of book. Wow. (laughs) 
and got it published and put in bookshops. You should do it for merch, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, God. Uh, driving quite worrying distances for very small gestures. Yeah. Like just rocking up. I'm here! I think that's always... What? I think that's always the unannounced visits. Yeah. I mean, it, it, see, these are the kind of things... A lot of things happen in films, a lot of things happen in old films that are, like, borderline... Well, not even borderline, absolutely be over a line. Mm. But that happens in films a lot, where someone turns up unannounced, and it's sort of often... Sometimes it's a terrible thing, but often it's a good... Oh, how romantic. A lot of things that are considered romantic are, are at, in reality, that is a terrible thing to do to someone. Yeah, a lot of things that we're told, or certainly I was told growing up were romantic, are actually quite controlling yeah. and quite based in need. Yes. Um, whereas actually I think I would be much... I mean, and am over the last, you know, 10, 15 years or whatever. I think it's a teenage stuff because... When you're a teenager, everything just feels so intense, so vivid, and you think you're so right. <laughs> I was thinking the other day about, like, how pretentious I was as a teenager, but then I, that's what being teenage is. It's believing 100% in the thing you've only just learned about. <laughs> and going, that's me! <laughs> the thing my teacher just told me, oh, I'm really into this thing now, and going back to your mum and saying, oh, we're, we're, I'm into this thing now. And she's like, oh, right, are we? And then the next day you find another thing. But it's, that's what life is, is when you're that age. It's just sort of trying to assimilate the entire world, music and art and poetry and sport and girls and boys and just feeling so, like, obsessed with it immediately. <laughs> And then you do eventually chill out. If there's any teenagers <laughs> listening to this, you will eventually just chill out. But just being so grateful, so grateful that none of that took place on social media for me. I mean, fuck me. <laughs> Christ. If I got flowers to deliver to the school, imagine what my TikTok account would have been like. <laughs> I feel so... I walk, drive past kids... In a, in a, as part of my... <laughs> as long as, as you're driving past, that's OK. As, as if you're stopping, offering them sweets. I drive past kids by accident <laughs> on, on my regular route. And I see them like... With, I know this is such a sort of, sort of everyday thing to say. I see them on their phones and I just think, you poor, poor people. I cannot imagine what your life is like to add to that... You know, my friendship group when I was at school was, you know, six. The, the year I was in was maybe 200. The school itself was a big one, but it was 1,000. Yeah. Imagine that's, you know, 8 million. <laughs> yes. I just can't, I couldn't bear it. No. And I still struggle with social media now because I just feel too, I feel quite shy. Like, I don't want to, but I do want to. But, oh, God, I haven't even fucking... I haven't mentioned I'm doing Edinburgh on social media. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's insane. It is insane. I will have done by the time this podcast I goes out. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm, I'm in real trouble. Yeah. Yes, uh, not all the AI questions are good. Uh, if I were to give a cat a human voice, what would it sound like if it sang the national anthem? I think it would sound like Her Majesty the Queen. Yeah. I can imagine a cat sounding like that. I mean, but also you're giving the cat a human voice. It's not saying what would a cat sound like if it could speak and sang the national anthem. Mm. It's saying what if a cat had a human voice. It would sound like whatever human voice you'd chosen to give it. So the Queen yeah. is an excellent answer. And, you know, and I think a fitting tribute to her life. <laughs> that she, in cat form, is singing <laughs> God Save Me. God save God me. God save myself. Yeah. Oh, it's too late. You fucker. You... What, what all that singing? Why did you... What, have, what about the song, God? What about the song? Are you really worried about AI? Not too worried. Every time I hear a fact about it, I get immediately incredibly worried and then stop thinking about it until the <laughs> next time I hear a fact what, about are it. Are you worried about it take, destroying the world or destroying the job of a writer-comedian? Oh, the world. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, that, is that more important? <laughs> I don't think AI can do comedy and, like, it's try, it's, it can try. 
Oh, well, it will do. It will I learn. It, I don't think. I don't think it will. Someone set. Uh, so, uh, the producer of our radio show, Dave, writes very basic slash awful slash good poetry, <laughs> depending on your relationship with poetry and Dave. Someone said to an AI bot, write a poem in the style of Dave Masterman yeah. about this thing, and it was bang on. <laughs> so I think by this time next year, I'll be able to say, write an Edinburgh show in the style of John Robbins about alcohol and self-loathing, <laughs> but in a way that's not too self-absorbed and needy, has enough jokes and will sell out a moderately-sized arts centre, <laughs> and it'll be able to do it. Yeah, I don't think it will. Okay, I'll see you next I th- year. I think there's a, I think there's a human element to most art that I think that I think AI won't quite get to, but we'll see, we'll see. Uh, I don't think it'll destroy the world. Hmm. Oh, if it does, just turn it off. I think it's more. That's that's the mistake AI's made. It's to live inside a computer. <laughs> oh, oh, there we go. Oh yeah, it's fine. The cons. <laughs> But, but we haven't done that with social media. No. We, we are all... I was chatting about this to my pal the other day. All of us, deep down, the secret we're keeping from ourselves is that we want to switch off our social media but can't. We know it's the problem. We know that it's damaging our lives, our friendships, politics. We know it has ruined our politics. You know, everyone who subscribes to The Rest is Politics thinks the reason I love this show is because this is what politics should be about. It's about people disagreeing agreeably. It's about, you know pragmatism and being sort of centre-left or centre-right. And we know this is the solution and we love it. And this is what we want politics to be. Well, okay, turn off your social media and you'll have that. And we are embarrassed that we can't. And I'm embarrassed that I can't. And it's the same with AI. We won't turn it off because we won't know what's real and what's not real. Mm. That's what's scary. Oh, God, now I'm getting scared again. So I need to go through a period of not thinking about it again, please. In this case, in that case, I'll ask you: Have you ever tried to suck your own cock? That, that, that should that should cheer you up. Which I well, can't believe I've never. I mean, how have I interviewed you this many times and never asked you that? Especially some of the positions you found me in when you walk into the dressing room. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, at a very young age, was uh, I've got have a back problems. Uh, it, my lumbar spine, which as any um, self congratulators will know. The lumbar spine has got to be the most flexible area. <laughs> yes. um, I've got a, 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 a lumbosacral L4 vertebrae, which means my lowest vertebrae on one side is fused to my pelvis. Okay. Uh, a few people have it. It can give you back problems. It gives you sciatica sometimes because it puts too much pressure on the, uh, the um, what do you call them, uh, vertebrae above it. <laughs> so it means, so if I were to, if I were to, so I've been going to yeah. the gym for the last two years, yeah. right? Just so you can suck <laughs> I'll try and touch my toes now. Yeah. Right. This is after two years of going to the gym, yeah. as far as I can get, is there. Yeah, you're nowhere near, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and if were I to do yoga for an hour a day for the rest of my life, I still wouldn't be able to touch my toes because my, my back just doesn't hinge. Okay. So I've been saved the, <laughs> the, the practical disappointment of attempting okay. it. But, I, you know, I'm sure I did have a bloody good go at one yeah, point. Yeah, sure. It's good, you know, I thought that question, we'd heard every possible answer, but there you go. It's opened another exciting avenue into the life of John Robbins and a potential show down the line when you've really run out of ideas. <laughs> I have my fused vertebrae. I've never asked you about the human centipede. Have I asked you that? That you might have done. Ah. Oh. Is it who's in front and yeah. who's behind? Yeah, I think you did. Okay, all then. right, then, that's fine. Thank- I, was, I was just worried... Worried, worried I hadn't asked. As long as it's on record somewhere, then that's, that's all that matters. Um, I, I understand, I've been listening to some podcasts, and I listened to your last... I love your, uh, your show with Ellis uh, on uh, Five Live. I've, I've started listening to Five Live all the time. Really? You, yeah. It's the voice of the I love, UK. I love Colin Murray. I've, I've got more into sport, I have to say, so I kind of enjoy just... I listened to women's football yesterday on the yeah. way, and I kind of... It was great. Yeah. Um, but there's some very good presenters, and you guys are good. I, 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 I learnt that you've been having your skin lasered. Yeah. I, um, I've always had quite bad skin on my face, and 
uh, I always thought it was booze. Because right. I, would, I would, you know, two weeks drinking, face would go all red, and then I would stop drinking, it would disappear. So I was like, well, this is just, you know, this is just the life of somebody who drinks too much. And then I stopped and it got a bit better, and then it got really bad. Right. Sort of flared up like red, really burny bits. So I got into a mad world. And anyone who's had, like, skin problems, I think it's fucking horrible. It's horrible. Because you feel so self-conscious and so confused because you don't know what the problem is. Because as my GP said, you can be allergic to anything. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> so, so I've gone from thinking, well, maybe it's wheat. Uh, maybe it's, you know, lactose. To, maybe it's something that exists in the world. LAUGHTER um, and then you end up, you know, you hear people say, oh, I had bad skin, I use this. So you buy that thing and you put it on and it gets worse or it gets better and then you're chasing your tail and I realised I was putting like eight different creams on my face and this is all for something that you probably wouldn't have noticed. You know, you probably wouldn't have ever thought of me as someone who had bad skin, but it was, I was very in my head. Um, so anyway, I went to my GP, I went to a dermatologist, I went to a skin expert and they all gave me slightly different advice, but I kind of simplified what I was doing and then I went to uh, a laser lady who was very enthusiastic started lasering my face while I was still holding the brochure about the machine she was using <laughs> I was thinking fuck it it can't make it any worse um, so I'm going for my first appointment next week but that's just to get rid of like I've got boozer's veins on my face I thought you'd already bit so you know I can't see anything I <laughs> yeah, thought oh yeah. you've done it and it's it all looks, gone it looks good today yeah um, but, uh, yes, I, I think dermatology, is a real, they make a hu- must have a huge impact on people's mental health. Because if you, especially when it's on your face, it's really difficult. I mean, I am talking about I've got the mildest fucking problem. It's, a bit, it's probably a bit of rosacea. It's yeah. not anywhere near as bad as it can be. But I do really feel for people because it's not knowing what's causing it and how you can control it. One, they said that it could be... Um, it, it could be um, made worse by heat, cold, or wind. <laughs> like, can you imagine thinking, oh, it's fine now, because as long as I avoid heat, cold, or wind, <laughs> it'll be fine. I mean, it's nuts. So, anyway. Have you seen this guy, this 45-year-old guy, who's, who's trying to re- become 18 years old using science, and he... He does things like inject himself with his son's oh, blood. I feel and, so uh, sad for him already. something about salmon semen or something. He's been drinking salmon. I don't I think that's part of it. It's just a bit of fun. Well, he, was, <laughs> when he's, he was already that's his doing reward. that. That's you could move around from booze to salmon semen. Yeah. What are you drinking, John? Just some salmon semen. But I think, it's, I think it's such a privilege to grow old. You know, you think of people who haven't lived as long as me. Yeah. You know... Uh, and especially with when you factor in stuff like booze. I mean, even the stuff I remember, like, I once jumped across two second-story balconies at uni, and the balcony sort of moved beneath me, and I managed to grab on to something. I could easily have died. I could have been, the, you know, the 19-year-old kid you read about in the news who fell off a balcony. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel really lucky to be 41, and, you know, I might... I, I don't know how long I'm, I'm going to live, but... I, I've never really had a problem with ageing apart from when it's sort of like, you know, you should have done this by now or you should have done that by now. But I don't really mind about, you know, grey hairs and that sort of thing. Because, I, you know, when I get to 90, if, you know, big if, but say I got to 90, I would think what an enormous privilege it is to have survived and to have seen so much. I mean, 90, that's another 25 Ryder Cups I get to watch. (laughs) That excites me. 25 Ryder Cups. Think of all the drama. Incredible. It starts going faster, John, I have to say. From about your age to my age, feels in my brain like, well, I still feel like I'm 35, so it's good. Yeah, I'd say 35 is where I feel like my my sort of... I always thought I would feel 17 forever, and that wasn't the case, and thank Christ it wasn't. <laughs> but I think I'll probably always feel 35, but I will always feel like I've, you know, I've been very, very lucky. Gratitude is the, is the opposite of resentment, you yes. see. That's what I'm learning. And the opposite of um, anxiety is acceptance and all this kind of stuff. So just feeling grateful for life is good. I said, do you ever do try and look the same as your own 18-year-old son as a 45-year-old, which is going to be tricky for you? Yeah. Um, don't have loads of photos taken standing next to him. That's well, what I, I would s- say. So there's this 45-year-old guy. He looks a bit... His chest looks like he's got, like, little moves put in. You know, like, mm. strongman moves, though. Um, 
he looks very white and pale, and then he stands next to his perfectly normal-looking, <laughs> handsome 18-year-old son, you go, yeah, mate, you're, you're really nowhere near. You're nowhere near that. <laughs> you're about as near as I am if I stood next. Mm. But it's odd, because you think of, like, if we were to think in our heads of the people, the older people we most admire or sort of uh, most aspire to be, they tend to be people who sort of are their age, who embrace that age. It doesn't necessarily mean you can't sort of be youthful, but they, they sort of have a sort of vitality about yeah. them. I think he's trying to live forever, you know. I think that's the idea. Why? I know, it'd be tedious. <laughs> Just Why for longer. Well, you know, but if you're going to get to 90, it'd be nice to get to 90 and, and still feel more or less... The... So, you know, I'm with my folks this weekend, and my mum's 86 this year. Yeah. And she's still playing badminton with the kids and running around. My dad, who's 87, is not playing badminton and running around. I'm sure he would say it would be nice to be I think running we, around at I think we all want to be uh, in mobile and in good health at that age, but we know the solution to that is diet and exercise. Yeah. <laughs> it's that simple. Well, There's no, you don't need to fucking inject your son's blood in you. <laughs> you, need to, you need to walk every day. You need to have three periods of pretty sort of pretty energetic work every week you've got to eat you know what is it because i'm doing a lot of crossfit so i'm you know completely indoctrinated into this but it's meat veg nuts and seeds a little starch no sugar a little fruit exercise three times a week and that will get rid of 70 percent of the things that kill us (laughs) and mean that when you're in older age you'll have the mobility you'll be used to the sort of lifting and moving so you're not gonna have a fall because most people who die in hospital it starts with a fall whether it's the fall that kills them or not, it might be an infection they get, it might be losing mobility because of the fall, so don't fall over. <laughs> Just walk around with a big rubber ring around you. There must be some, there so might be a dragon's den bounce thing back there. up. That might be a good dragon's den, like a sort of... Like, like the noddy thing, like the car thing, but it just comes out if you fall over. That was, there must be able to do that. They could, they airbags, there are. Airbags. You can get them for motorbike riders. Yeah. You get airbags for, in the suit. Yeah, so walking around, just a big... Yeah. Whichever way, it, it would have to surround you. <laughs> it must be doable, yeah. Well, like the Michelin Man, like yeah. in a Zorb. All we need is to live in Zorbs. Yeah, we just live in... If you, well, and also, your allergies, if you lived in a Zorb, you could just gradually start putting things in, and then when one of them makes you go blotchy, we've found what you're allergic to. Well, a Zorb is the only way you can control hot, cold and wind. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so I could have an air-conditioned Zorb... And, you know, if someone paints, do not give booze. (laughs) I no longer have to do any of the personal development stuff because no one's going to give me booze. So we can write all of our list of stuff on the outside of the Zorb. Sex would be a problem, but I'm sure (laughs) your brain will somehow somehow come up with a way around. Sex would be amazing with with two Zorbs. (laughs) How would you? You're both in a Zorb. Yeah, nude. Yeah. So it would also be quite a pornographic experience. I mean, it would be a lot just wanking at each other and waving. Again, careful if you're near schools, John. Don't go to to a school. (laughs) Our vision of a perfect future (laughs) has been now given the Richard Herring treatment and it's people wanking in Zorbs. But very happy and and beautiful skin. Um, tell us where you're on at the Edinburgh Fringe for people who are the rich, the very rich people who are travelling up to the Edinburgh Fringe this year in their gold carriages. So uh, I'm, my work in progress is... Um, uh, I won't even worry about the dates because they're all different days. Um, but the work in progress is 3.10 at a room called the Subatomic in just the Tonics nucleus venue. And the main show is at 8.50, which is in the main room at the Nucleus venue. And the Nucleus venue is about 200 yards up from the Pleasance Courtyard. And it's not the main Just the Tonic venue on Cowgate. So please don't come to the wrong one, even though they are quite close. And for the rest of the time, just be wanking in a Zorb. Yes. For uh, for anyone who wants to look at that. On the meadows. (laughs) On the meadows. That's lovely. Lovely to talk to you. I'll just say to the people here in Wells, I will be out in the foyer after the show. And I'm... I've got loads of all my books. I've got my ball book and, uh, and lots of other books that you can buy if you want. If you want to say hello, get a selfie, um, you're very welcome to and say hello. Sorry, can I just plug my tour? Yes, please because do. Because I've yet to do that in public. Yes, do it. We do it. <laughs> Which starts on the uh, 13th of September in Norwich, and then it's uh, about 50-ish dates until December. 
Um, and there's lots of tickets still available, and I'm really, really looking forward to doing it. Good. Um, and the tour is called Howl, and you can get tickets at johnrobbins.com. Good. And please do that. John is an absolutely fantastic award-winning, comedy award-winning, though Hannah Gadsby's the one everyone remembers, comedian. <laughs> <laughs> I've let go, Richard. I've let go. I'm absolutely, I'm so pleased for everyone. I have an attitude. Oh, why did I get him depressed right at the end? It was just going so well. Why could I not resist that? I'm doing a gig in Wells at five o'clock, but I think it might be sold out, but it's at the Little Theatre, but do come along and I'm trying out material about my testicle, if you haven't heard enough about that already. Uh, but for the moment, please give it up, ladies and gentlemen, the amazing John Robbie. Thank you so much to Wells for having us. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, John Robbins. The music, as ever, is provided by Scant Regard. I am indebted to everyone at the Wells Comedy Festival, everyone at Cedars Hall, to my director and friend, Chris Evans, not that one, to Ben Evans, not that one, to Kathleen McKeegan, not that one, uh, and uh, my wife and children, let's say, as well. Uh, this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out. <laughs>